Turn, if you would, to the eighth chapter of the book of Proverbs. Give you some idea of where we're going. Um, Chapter 10 is a major transition in the book of Proverbs. After chapter 10, we get into the, well, it's what most people think of when they think of the book of Proverbs, which are the, you know, short statements of wisdom and how you should live your life. And that's what starts in chapter 10. Up to this point, we've been discussing wisdom and foolishness in broad general terms. And we're going to see that in chapter 8 and in chapter 9. If you remember last week and two or three weeks ago, we talked about the adulterous woman standing on the street corner calling out, trying to lead the young man addressed in the book of Proverbs astray. And we see this throughout the book, which is basically there's two voices that are clamoring for the attention of the young man that's being addressed. There is the voice of foolishness, the adulterous woman and other fools, and there's the voice of wisdom, wisdom personified as a woman calling out to the young man. And we see this once again in chapters 8 and 9 where wisdom is trying to get the young man's attention and trying to draw him to listen, to pay attention, and to follow the path of wisdom and not the path of foolishness. So we've got about two more lessons, depending on how far we get today, about two more lessons, and then we'll hit the sayings that start in chapter 10. And at that point, we'll see how far we get. We may have to start being a little more topical after that. We'll wait and see. So, picking up in chapter 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the entrances, she cries aloud. Once again, the picture is that wisdom is trying to get our attention. Why is it that we don't hear her when she cries? Come on, this should be easy. Too many other voices, too many distractions. We live in a world of noise, constant noise, constant energy, constant things going on. And it is distracting and keeps us from hearing the voice of wisdom. It is an interesting thought, and we made it in, I believe, the very first lesson. There's this idea that wisdom is something you find if you go out and, you know, climb the mountain and sit there for 40 years. That it's something hard, esoteric, and unobtainable to the masses of Well, you and me. What the book of Proverbs is teaching us is no. It is readily available. It is there for the taking. The problem is not in wisdom making the offer. The problem is with us listening. As we see when we talk about the gospel and we talk about Jesus Christ, we see in Romans chapter 1 that the invisible attributes of God were clearly seen, but we chose, we sinful human beings, chose to disregard him. 
Wisdom is available to anyone who wants to listen. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's easy, but it is available to anyone that wants to listen. So, wisdom is calling out. To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. She is calling out to the simpleton and even to the fool and saying, repent, turn away from the way you're going, learn how you ought to live your life. Somebody tell me what prudence means. It actually is not a word we use that often today because it, hmm? Wise, cautious, good sense. It's basically what we would call common sense. You are a prudent person. Now, unfortunately, in our modern vocabulary, we've shortened that to prude, which has all kinds of negative connotations, which is a shame because it's a wonderful word. Prudence means doing things the smart way, having common sense on how you make it through your everyday activities. Now, once again, she, wisdom, is addressing the simple. The simple are those who just don't know, best personified by a child. You know, we take our children and we educate them, we teach them, don't do that, don't do this, do this and do that. Because they don't know. They have to be educated. It's not that they've rejected the truth. It's just that they don't know. Unfortunately, when you get to 30, 40, 50, 60, 70-year-olds who still don't know the truth, you begin to suspect you begin to suspect that something's going on. A choice somewhere has been made not to go looking for wisdom blinders have been put on but the next person addressed is the fool the fool is the person who has actively rejected the truth they are known as the mocker they poke fun at the truth they have been exposed to it and they have turned their back on it but she is addressing them also there is an opportunity for even the fool to turn around and understand the things of God if they will listen to the voice of wisdom. But the reality is they probably won't, and that's what makes them the fool. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my mouth to speak what is right, my mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. Listen, for I have something of value to tell you. To me, having spent the last weeks studying the book of Proverbs, this is the thing that has continually jumped out at me. If I truly believed that wisdom had something of value to tell me, wouldn't I pay more attention? 
How do we convince people? How do we convince ourselves? How do we convince our children that listening to wisdom is the most valuable thing imaginable? We'll see more of this in a moment where, once again, listening to wisdom is compared to more value than gold or silver or jewels or anything else you can imagine. I, wisdom, have worthy things to tell you. They are of worth. They are of value. Once again, we hear so many voices. We hear so many words of so-called earthly wisdom that when true wisdom speaks, sometimes we don't even know what it is. It's just another voice calling out to us. My mouth speaks what is true. What is truth? Come on, this is easy. Christ. Christ is truth personified. The word of God is true. But what's the definition of truth? Pardon? It's real. The most common definition of truth is that which corresponds to reality. If I say something is and it is, that's speaking the truth. If I say something is not and it is, that's a lie. Why is this important? Because we have in our mentality this break where we think the word of God is over here and it's interesting. But it doesn't match the real world. That won't work in the real world. In the real world, you have to do such and such. No. No, you don't. The the real world thinks all truth is relative to begin with. The wisdom of God is what corresponds to the world as it really is. And as I have repeated and will continue to repeat, it does take faith to understand that when God describes the way the world really works, we believe and act upon how he describes the world really works. Because believe me, you can read the news, you can watch TV, you can watch movies, and you can get a vision of how the world works that is totally out of sync with the way God says the world works. Wisdom is telling us things that are true. True. As Francis Schaeffer used to say, it is true truth. Because he recognized that we have fallen into this relativistic age. And when we say the word is something true, all we're saying is, well, it seems to work right now. No, this is truth. Wisdom is telling us how the world really works. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. Go ahead, Jerry. You think so? (laughs) He wants to talk about compromising with truth, but we're not going to go there. 
<laughs> you think I'm going to kill myself? Well, there's nothing on it worth seeing anyway. So. All the words of my mouth are... Uh, 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 my mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. The voice of wisdom cannot speak wickedness because the mere thought of speaking wickedness is abhorrent to her. Unlike, well, most of us who are quite comfortable moving our lips to say truth or saying falsehood or saying something in the middle. Wisdom itself detests, detests that which is wicked and will have nothing to do with it. All the words of my mouth are just, none of them is crooked or perverse. Once again, we see this image throughout the book of Proverbs. The way of truth is straight. The way of foolishness is crooked and perverse. It kind of wanders over here for a while. Today I believe this. Tomorrow I believe that. You know, I'm against this unless it suits my purposes and then I'm for it but tomorrow I could be totally different. The way of wisdom is a straight path. All the words of my mouth are just, none of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. That's a rather important verse. What is that verse telling us? To the discerning, all of them are right. Are they not right to the non-discerning? Well, the truth is still the truth. But the reality is the non-discerning will not recognize the truth. We see this throughout the book of Proverbs. Who becomes more wise those who have wisdom. Who becomes more foolish? Those who are fools. There is this idea that you have to have a certain understanding of the things of God so you can understand the things of God. And as you understand the things of God, you begin to better understand the things of God. Huh. That sounds kind of weird. How do you start it out? How do you start if it takes wisdom to recognize wisdom? Huh. Anybody want to take a stab at that? First become a spiritual person? True knowledge. What does that mean? (laughs) Keep pursuing it. Ask God for it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And the Spirit of God will teach you. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. That is true. But who is it that hungers and thirsts after righteousness? You see, here is the reality. I mean, let's just get down to you know, the bottom line. You go over to Romans chapter 3, 
and you see that there's no one who does good, there's no one who seeks after God, there's no one that wants to do what is right. That is fallen human nature. But the grace of God comes into our lives and gives us this glimpse of the things of God. And we seek after the things of God, we want the things of God, and God reveals more of himself to us. And we grow in our wisdom and our knowledge of the things of God. Why is this verse important? This verse is important because it should keep us from being discouraged that there are those in the world who do not understand the things of God. We sit here and we think, gosh, it is so obvious based on the word of God that that behavior leads to destruction. It's like last week's lesson dealing with the adulterous woman. Based on the word of God, it is so obvious that chasing after, following after, pursuing the adulterous woman leads to destruction. But how many talk shows, how many books, how many movies have you seen where following the adulterous woman led to bliss and happiness? And we sit there and go, are you going to believe the word of God or are you going to believe the latest movie that came out of Hollywood? And the answer is the undiscerning is going to follow the latest movie that came out of Hollywood and that shouldn't surprise us. Now, when destruction does come, when the lives do start falling apart, what we begin to see are those people are open to hearing the gospel. When all of a sudden, what they thought they were pursuing was so grand, crumbles in their hand, those individuals are open to understanding the gospel and the wisdom of God. But it should not surprise us. Now, the flip side of that is, that doesn't free us from not presenting it to them in a godly manner. We are called to present the truth to everyone we come in contact with. And we do that. And we do it out of obedience to God. Why? Because God uses that to work in the hearts of people. But it's God that's working in their hearts. To the, discern to the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. If you have no knowledge of God, if you have no knowledge of God, and I'm going to put a caveat on that in just a moment, if you have no knowledge of God, the things of God make no sense. They really don't. Now, my caveat is that God created each of us with a knowledge of God. But we have chosen to suppress that knowledge. Yes, Jerry. Yes. This opens the door to opportunity to talk to people. When? No. <laughs> Her question is, do I think things are going to get better? And the answer is, who knows? Probably not. Okay? People are going to be what people are. And they will continue to respond in their sinful ways. We had a long discussion just a couple of nights ago about a Christian situation 
and egos are just taking over. I mean, just taking over, and you are sitting there with a large caliber pistol shooting yourself in the foot because your ego can't stop. And you go, wait a minute, these are Christians. Yeah. Okay. If we let sin, if we follow the path of foolishness, we will do <gasps> foolish things. Yes, Mike. His example was from the financial business, and you follow the wrong people, Madoff and company, and you know what? They made a lot of money for a while. You know, I read a book just a couple of weeks ago about the bond industry, and you go, how did we ever get into this mess? But, in fact, it's funny because the author that wrote it, he wrote it four or five years ago when the bond market was doing very well, and he said, I wrote it to, as a warning to people. He said, unfortunately, people read it as a how-to manual. <laughs> he said that years later. Yes. Things will get better for some because no one is born into the remnant. For believers, we're going to die and go to heaven and things are going to get really good. Okay. For believers who follow the wisdom of God, things are going to get better. But the world may crumble around us. So that's why I hesitated to even answer your question because, you know, do I think there's some utopia out there where everything... No, I don't believe that at all. Do I think you can do your, live your life better by pursuing wisdom? Definitely. Okay? But, comma, do I have, am I optimistic about... Oh, we won't even go there. But you are right. Even the fool, even the fool can repent. The grace of God is strong enough to take Saul of Tarsus and whack him off of his donkey and save him. Even the fool can repent. But they're still a fool until they do. Let's keep going. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. There's my question that, that has been going through my head, and I, to be quite honest, I don't have the answer to it. How do I convince myself that pursuing wisdom is more valuable than Fill in the blank with your favorite thing. Whatever that favorite thing is. Cash. Okay? Jewels. Gold. Whatever it is, wisdom is more valuable than that. You know, it is interesting. I have a bunch of these Bibles around my house. Okay? I've got NIV Bibles, I've got ESV, King James, New King James, New American Standard, Revised Standard Version. I've got so many Bibles around my house. It's easy to begin to think that it's just 
nothing of value. It is just another book. The reality is, it is the word of God given to us. If I thought, I mean, I've heard this whole analogy before, and it's kind of interesting. If I walked up to you and I said, okay, let's say I walked up to my son. He needs the money. Let's say I walked up to him and said, I'm going to give you a hundred dollars for every verse of the Bible you memorized. You know what? In the next week, he would memorize a lot of verses. He's a smart kid. He would memorize a lot of verses. What the book of Proverbs tells us is that learning the verse is more valuable than the hundred dollars. But we have trouble seeing that. We're so accustomed to listening to this voice and that voice and the other voice and somebody else's voice. And the Bible is one of those voices. You know, we have a major problem in our life, a major situation, and we go talk to our unbelieving friends at work or where we go to socialize or we talk to our neighbor or we talk to somebody else and we talk to somebody else and we turn on Oprah to see what she has to say about it and we turn on whatever other talk show, and she's not even on anymore, whatever other talk show. I was reading an article this week about Judge Judy. I've never even watched Judge Judy. Do you know she makes $100 million a year? Anyway, that's all. $100 million. We listen to all these voices. And we begin to think that the word of God is not that valuable. It's the analogy I used a couple of weeks ago. You're on the roller coaster, and you know that at the top of the last hill, the track is missing. It's gone. All of a sudden, it would change your whole perspective about the roller coaster up to that last hill. All of a sudden, the first hill isn't very much fun. If you know the last hill isn't there. And wisdom is here to tell you, if you follow the path of foolishness, the last hill isn't there. And maybe the one before that. Who knows? Who knows when you'll fall off? There's another pastor who uses the illustration of, you're flying in a commercial airline, okay? And the stewardess comes down and starts handing out parachutes, okay? And tells you to put it on. Well, you put it on, and it's bulky, and it's not doing any good, and These planes are perfectly safe anyway, so eventually you take the parachute off and you stick it under the seat. Well, what if the stewardess came down and started handing out parachutes and told you, this plane's going to crash in 10 minutes, and I'm going to give you instructions on how to use that parachute. All of a sudden, those instructions become very, very important. And that's what the wisdom of God is. Instructions on how to live our life because the other path leads to destruction. Do we really believe that? Do we believe it enough to convince our friends, our family of that? Do we believe it enough to live our lives that way? 
For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you can compare, you desire can compare with her. We're not going to make it through this chapter. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. Here are all these words again. Wisdom, skill at living, particularly skill at living a godly life. Prudence, common sense, making right and smart and godly decisions. Knowledge, knowing the things of God, knowing about God, knowing the character of God, knowing what God loves, knowing what God hates. We saw that uh, two weeks ago. Knowing the things that God hates. Discretion, making wise decisions, discerning between what is right and what is wrong. You know, we mock people today sometimes for discretion, discernment, choosing between that which is right and that which is wrong. We live in an age that prizes tolerance. There is no right and wrong. And you shouldn't offend anybody by telling them there is a right and wrong. I read a book with a group of kids one time uh, written by... um, Uh, James Dobson's son, Ryan Dobson. And the title of the book is Go Ahead and Be Intolerant. Because there are things in this world that we're not supposed to tolerate in our own lives. Discernment is learning to distinguish right from wrong. And we see in the book of Hebrews, that is the mark of maturity. They are those who who through long practice have learned to distinguish that which is right from that which is wrong. (sighs) To fear the Lord is to hate evil. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. We've seen this phrase throughout the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, we've seen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom we've seen. And now we see that to fear God is to hate evil. What is evil? The reason I ask you this question is one day this week my son called me up. I'm at work. And the first question out of his mouth is, what is evil? (laughs) These are the kinds of things I have to deal with every day. It's okay. He was reading Lord of the Flies. And if you read Lord of the Flies, you know why the discussion comes up. What is evil? Satan is a person, personifies evil. Sin. (laughs) She says it's the Super Bowl ads. (laughs) There's no evil in churches. 
That was a joke. Go ahead. <laughs> well, sometimes I go into into work work and I feel like I I want to get out of there. I mm-hmm. want to get out of here. Sometimes you're in situations, and you know that hair on the back of your neck kind of goes, what am I doing here? This is a bad place. (coughs) Go ahead. I would say that. Her comment was, wisdom, to change the words a little bit, wisdom, I mean, uh, evil is that which is contrary to the character and wisdom and knowledge of God. That's it. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, it is interesting. It is interesting, and this takes a lot of discernment and wisdom and understanding. Because we saw in, was it 1 Corinthians, where he talked about the fact that You know, there's sin and evil and wickedness. But I'm not talking about that outside the church. Paul is telling the church at Corinth, deal with it within the context of the church. Because outside the church, they don't know any better. They're fallen, unsaved, unrepentant, and we shouldn't expect them to follow the word of God. That doesn't mean it's not evil. It just means that we are not responsible for that. We are responsible for the sin that is inside the church community. Now what is fascinating to me as I read the book of Proverbs is what the author of Proverbs is interested in is the sin and the evil that is in my heart. You see, it's easy In one sense, it's easy for me to launch a campaign to deal with evil that is out there. And trust me, there's no shortage of evil out there. But it's a whole different matter for me to deal with the sin that is in my own life. Let's keep reading and see what it says. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. I hate pride and arrogance. This is God speaking. I hate pride and arrogance. I mean, if you were to list, you know, the top sins in the world today, you know, we could put abortion up there, we could sexual deviation up there we could come up with quite a list of sins that those people out there are doing pride and arrogance why pride and arrogance because pride is what looks in the face of God and says who are you to tell me how to live my life and you know what that could be the worst murderer in the world, that could be the well-dressed person who lives next door to you. Either way, it's looking in the face of God and saying, who are you to tell me how I ought to live my life? And you know what? The Lord hates that. 
And we are to hate it also, particularly when it surfaces in our own lives. Pride and arrogance, evil behavior, evil behavior that we understand, doing things that are wrong, okay? At least we have one that we can deal with. And perverse speech, perverse speech. What is perverse speech? Lies, gossip. It is using this God-given tongue for something other than God-given purposes. Perverse, perverted, crooked. It's simply saying things that may be outright lies. They may be half lies. They may be innuendos. They may be just good old-fashioned gossip. But it isn't speaking the truth. We're told in the New Testament what to say. You know, say words that are uplifting, encouraging, that build people up. Speak the word of God in season and out of season. These are the things we're supposed to be saying. But we say a lot of different things. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I never really addressed your question. Or did you have a question? You're just making a comment. Sometimes, go ahead. <laughs> we went there Friday night. <laughs> uh-huh. And it was uh, uh, are very sincere. <laughs> you never get around to the actual praising God part. Pardon? They had visited a church on Friday night and um, were somewhat put out by what was being said, the lifestyle of some of the people, the female pastor, etc., etc. And her question, comment was, you know, you go into situations and you try to assess where the evil actually lies in particular situations. And it takes discernment. It takes understanding. It takes wisdom. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes the obvious part is just really the surface. And there's something of, there's something much deeper underneath. And that's usually the case. Uh, There are churches that 
do all kinds of weird things today. I mean, I've. Yeah, we get invited to. Well, we're running out of time, so let me wrap up on that. No, no, oh, no, no, that, that's perfect. That's perfect. We are to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Let's look at the life of Jesus Christ just very briefly, okay? In the society in which Jesus lived, there were people whom society viewed as wicked and evil. And that's who Jesus spent his time with. Within the society in which Jesus lived, there were people whom society thought were really big deal and were doing the right things. And God and Jesus blasted them every chance he got. Because the pride and the arrogance can take on religious wrappings and I can form a church predicated on the idea that I'm going to be open and I'm not going to tell anybody that their lifestyle is wrong and I can build a church that way and people will come for a while. They will. Yet those who are in fact overcome by the effects of wickedness and evil that Jesus came in contact, in actual fact, were the simple. The tax collector, the prostitute, the woman with umpteen wives. They were the simple. They were the naive. And Jesus gave them the gospel message. The Pharisees were the fools who in pursuit of the things of God had become prideful and arrogant. And I might add, since Esther's not here to correct me, I might add there were Pharisees who were God-fearing people. Okay, there really were. There were Pharisees who came to Jesus. There were Pharisees who listened to Jesus. But the ones that he came in contact with the most often were the prideful and the arrogant. And this verse says, those are the things that God hates. So what is the conclusion? We are to live in the world. God did not remove us from the world. You know, you could have become a, a Christian, accepted Christ, and God could have removed you from the world immediately. End of story, happiness, nirvana. But God chose not to do that. He leaves us in the world to minister to the world, to minister to those around us who need to hear the gospel and they need to hear the wisdom of God. That's what they need. That's what God left us here to do. In order for us to be able to do that, we have to prepare ourselves by learning the gospel and the wisdom of God so we can share it with other people. And in order to do that, not only do we have to learn it, we have to live 
the gospel and the wisdom of God so we can share it to the people around us. And we do find ourselves in bizarre situations at times. And sometimes the right answer is just to turn and run away. I remember in particular one time I was in, we lived in uh, outside of D.C. for a couple of years. And one Saturday I went downtown to visit all the bookstores in downtown Washington, D.C. And I had a list. And I was walking through different used bookstores. That's what I like. And I'm walking down the street, and here's a bookstore. So I walk into this bookstore. It wasn't on my list, but I walk into this bookstore. I don't get 20 feet into this bookstore until I realize it's a gay bookstore. And I turn, and I walk out of that bookstore because I wasn't going to find anything there. That I. Sometimes the right answer is to turn and run away. But sometimes we need to minister to people wherever we find them. Because you know, the woman caught in the act of adultery, the woman at that well, they knew they were sinners. They knew they were sinners. And they needed the gospel. The Pharisee, they thought they were God's men. And you know what? Jesus had no patience with them. What does God hate? Pride, arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse talk. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that I would learn the value of your wisdom. Today, Lord, tomorrow, and in the days to come, I pray, Lord, that I would value wisdom above all else. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.